The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown in stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline, pylon, touchdown, and the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler. Join alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. And head on over to puntandpass.com. It's the best website in the world of college football. It's got our YouTube page up there. Everywhere the podcast is distributed. All of our social media, our merchandise store, and our blog with our picks. And my picks this past weekend were atrocious. It was the worst week I've ever had in the history of punt and pass. Aaron, I went 0-5 against the spread. Oh. Um, so hand up. I was wrong. I mean, well, I was I, I was so right I on a lot of the money then. lines. But... I guess I'm, I went 1-4. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. So, hey, we loved bowl weekend. It was a lot of fun with the college football playoff. We will discuss all of that. Tons of news breaking in the world of college football as well. We have the national championship game set up. That, of course, is a week from today. It's Alabama, which everybody expected, against Ohio State, which I think very few people expected to beat Clemson, especially in the way and the fashion that they did. We'll dive into that. We'll break it all down. Where should we start? I mean, Friday, excuse me, New Year's Day started with an unbelievable slate of bowl games. And it started with the Peach Bowl, Aaron. Number nine, Georgia, against number eight, Cincinnati. Undefeated American Athletic Conference champion Cincinnati. It was a hell of a game. A lot of fun to watch. Georgia wins 24-21, to 21, showing a ton of grit, showing a ton of fight. And they beat a team that really looked like they wanted to be there. Yeah, I mean, listen, that was a great team in Cincinnati. But I know a lot of fans like, oh, my goodness, it was Cincinnati. We almost lost the game. It's a group of five team. That's a damn good group of five team. Oh, yeah. I've said it over and over for the past couple of years. Cincinnati's legit. Luke Fickle's legit. Desmond Ritter's pretty darn good quarterback. That's a great defense. I mean, that was a great all-around football team in the Bearcats that they played. So you knew they are going to come out with a lot of energy, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I said it last week. They were going to put the group of five on their backs and say something needs to change. We are representing this, these teams in the country, around the country and saying, you know, expand the playoffs, let one of us in, or we're going to do our own damn thing eventually. And I think they needed to eventually do their own thing. But I think even with Cincinnati losing, I still think it, it, it adds a, a positive spin and, and a positive outlook to the group of five and say, okay, these guys are legit. There's some good teams in this league. They do deserve some of our recognition and love going forward, uh, which, like I said, I think they – 
there's good enough football players, they're good enough coaches, good enough teams that that they can make it interesting against some of the powerhouses across college football. But I'm with you, man. It was a great game. Um, George a little bit sleepy early on, but they they woke up, got a little bit more competitive in the second half. But you know, you love the fact that they were able to fight through it. You know, yeah. you see so many bowl games with some big teams that you know had a bunch of opt outs. The rest of the team didn't really show up, aka uh, Florida Gators, and and really could care less about being there. But you saw that Georgia wanted to be there. Yeah, they're in their home state. They were there in Atlanta. Uh, they were they were excited to be there. They just didn't show up there in the first half, but they continued to fight, fight, fight. So I I, I love the way they finished it. Um, I do think Cincinnati kind of screwed up a little bit. Oh I don't know goodness. why the hell they were throwing the ball in third down. Like just run it, punt it, and give Georgia with no timeouts, less than a minute to go down the field to kick a field goal. You give them over what a minute and thirty seconds, minute with 38. a timeout. Yeah. Well, no, they didn't have the timeout. Oh, they burned the timeout to punt. Burned, yeah. Sorry. That was another questional thing. I don't know we'll why get to, we'll get to that. the timeout yeah. on, on uh, a, you know, about to punt the football. So a lot of questionable uh, coaching decisions there, but uh, the good guys won at the end of the day, and it was kind of a fun way to start the new year. It was a lot of fun to watch, and you and I talked about it last week. This was the biggest game in the in the history of Cincinnati's football program. You knew that they were going to be fired up. They wanted to prove a point. The college football playoff committee essentially shooed them away and said, you have no chance of getting into the playoff, and Georgia was sleepy in that first half. And, of course, when you're watching the game, Mark Jones, the play-by-play commentator for ESPN, and everybody on social media is already writing up Georgia doesn't want to be there. It's so funny how the SEC loses these bowl games and then says, we don't want to be there. All we care about is national championships, X, Y, and Z. I mean, they were writing Georgia off, giving the trophy to Cincinnati, talking about the storylines of Cincinnati deserved to be in the college football playoff. This is a really good team. They did beat an SEC team. And that second half, man, the momentum, the defense just shut down Cincinnati's offense. I mean, it couldn't move, three and outs, punting, and you kind of felt it happening, right? They're starting to get first downs. JT Daniel pushing the ball down the field, moving the chains. The thing to me was this, Aaron. When Georgia went for it on fourth down with four minutes remaining in the third quarter, I think they were down 10 points. They were down 10 yeah. points. They went for it on fourth and one. They were in chip shot range for Jack Podlesny, the, the kicker, and they didn't get it. And then late in the game, they kick another field goal or they score a touchdown, and you're like, well, those three points would have been great because you'd be up by now. You would literally be up by now. That situational moment to me was a gigantic head-scratcher. Why would you do that? Put points on the board late in the third quarter. That made no sense, especially when points were at a premium. You know, uh, listen, the, the, I thought the play call was great. I mean, sometimes you go into a game, you feel really good with your fourth and short play call. And it was wide open. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, it had nothing to do with the coaches. There was execution. Yeah. Ball was behind. Jackson had a chance to catch it. Uh, should have probably caught it. But if JT Daniels was just putting him on him and let him just probably two feet further towards the sideline, easy first down. He breaks a t- he breaks a tackle. Might have been a touchdown for goodness sake. So that was more in the players and the coaches. Like I said, you go in the game saying, okay, we feel awesome. We know they're going to give us this coverage. Um, I, I did. I honestly, I did not hate it. I really didn't. I thought it was a fine play call. I thought it was a fine decision. The players have to execute. You put the players in a position to go out there and make a play. They got to make a play. So I, I, I put that more on JT. I put that more, and they're down um, eleven points at that. So I don't know if that really correct. Doesn't really matter, but um, yeah. I mean, listen, it wasn't JT's best performance. 
offensive you know, you, line, they're missing a lot. He was under a ton of got, duress. I got to give him that. Going to get going. Um, you know, it was good to see Pickens make some plays. And, you know, that, to me, I was looking forward to a bigger offensive performance. Um, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be as good because of the defense they were playing. I mean, let's, you know, once again, I mean, their last three games and, and weren't great defenses. Yeah. Especially Mississippi State. And and South Carolina kind of were bleeding players during that point of the season. So you weren't. I wasn't expecting to go out there and score 40, 50 points, but I was expecting a little bit more excitement. Um, it definitely hurts when you're losing some guys in the offensive line. So I, it still doesn't take anything long term away from me. I still think 2021, the season is going to be a really good year for this offense. I anticipate them being one of the better offenses. In the country, I mean, you give JT a full offseason. Yeah. You give them uh, the, the ability to work with those guys. I think the only question mark is going to be the offensive line, which they've recruited really, really well. So, yeah. you know, they got the receivers, they got the backs, they got the quarterback. You got some key parts there. Build the offensive line, get those guys right. And this is an offense that's going to be scoring 35 plus points a game, I think. Yeah, you would hope so. Again, having the familiarity with being in the system for half a season, getting that full off season, maybe Georgia gets alignment out of the transfer portal. I've heard rumors and rumblings about that. You're also hearing about Eric Gilbert and Tanks Bigsby being possible targets for Georgia in the transfer portal. I mean, this offense could be absolutely loaded. I don't know why next would season. Bigsby? Why would Bigsby? I think it's going to be dependent on James Cook. Um, I think if James Cook were There's to still leave, the depth at Georgia uh, right now, holy smokes. No, I totally agree with you. Um, so that will be a really interesting storyline to watch continue to develop, but a huge win for Georgia. And let's go to the end of game situational football because, I mean, baffling decisions on both sides. First with Georgia, okay? Late in the game, couple of timeouts. I think they had one timeout left right around midfield. You're sitting there going, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? You got to score. You got to put points on the board. Mm -hmm. They call a timeout kind of in a frenzy of are we going to punt? Are we going to go for it? So they call a timeout and you go, okay, well, I guess they're going to put in, hey, this is the fourth and intermediate um, play call that we love in this situation around midfield. And they trot the punt team out, burn a timeout, trot the punt team out. Kamarta kicks a touchback, and you're like, what was that? I mean, you literally thought you just ended the game. I mean, that to me was, again, situational football. You know, I know how many people they have on staff at Georgia. In those specific situations, there's like three or four things you should do, and everybody should be on the same page. And if you call a timeout, you got to go for it, man. And that was a moment to me where I was like, oh, my God, Georgia just lost. And it really was because of the decision-making in that specific situation, were you as baffled as I was when that happened? Yeah, I, I just I was kind of like, "What's going on here? Why are you wasting timeouts to just punt it?" And just, I mean, you would have lost maybe what another ten seconds by just running the punt team out there, punt it, and let's yeah. move on. Yeah, I just I, that or run the punt team out there, take a delay of game, and then just punt it if you're going to punt something. I just yeah, it's a waste of time. I mean, they get. They got lucky that, like I said, they got lucky the fact that Cincinnati decided to, to throw the ball. So let's talk about that. I mean, down. what the hell was that? And it it was a fantastic play by Tyreek Stevenson. Whoa. Georgia nutted yeah. up on defense, got yeah. them into a third and short. After that crazy decision to punt the ball and go ahead, why would you throw the ball on third down there? I, I don't. I mean, because I guess you're saying whatever. Kill shot. We're, we're, you know, we're going against Georgia, and we're going to go for the, the kill shot, and we're going to end the game with our offense on the field. I think it was just more of an ego thing than anything. Instead of just playing ball. I mean, yeah. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, for how good of a coach Fickle is, 
he got in his own way there. He was, th- he was thinking glory instead of being smart, run the football. And I mean, even just do a little bit of a zone read RPO where you give Desmond Ritter the opportunity to hand it. You give him the opportunity to run it. Yeah. Or if you, you know, kind of sneak a tight end to the flat, you give him a third option to then throw it, which they did no- numerous times during the game. So if you want to throw it, I would have done something more like that. Very safe. You knew you were going to complete it. And if not, Desmond Ritter could have run it, maybe get a couple yards, um, but then you just bleed, bleed clock, call a timeout, punt it, and Georgia would have had the ball with, I think it would have been probably around 50 seconds or less in the game without any timeouts to go. Yeah, Georgia. Um, it's a very good defense. So I just, Luke Fickle kind of uh, dropped the ball on that one there at the end of the game. So after first down, um, s- excuse me, Cincinnati ran two plays, got a first down at the 32-yard line. They ran for a loss of one. Georgia called timeout. Then they ran second, so they had three timeouts, okay? Then Georgia, excuse me, they had two timeouts left. Second down, pass complete. Georgia called their last timeout with 141 left on the clock. Then Cincinnati called a timeout as well. Um, And then the incompletion happened on third and two. Cincinnati then decides to punt from their own 40-yard line. And really, you got to give JT Daniels a ton of credit because they got the ball at the twenty. Um, he made a great pass to Pickens for 15 yards. Then he made a uh, completion to Kenny McIntosh for four yards, ran out of bounds. I mean, perfect. When, when you get in those situations where Georgia needs to get into field goal range, you have a quarterback who has a lot of experience in those situations. And then Georgia's wide receiving core at the moment had looked like, okay, we got some momentum here. Let's just get pot in range and see what happens. A couple of great plays towards the sidelines. You bring Pod Lesney out there for a 53-yarder. I mean, that ain't a short kick, especially yeah. when it's win or lose, right? The game was not tied. Overtime was not a situation right there. It's, hey, Pod, game is in your hands. Kick it. You make it. We win. You miss it. We're going home. We just lost to Cincinnati. And, buddy, he absolutely drained that kick. That was awesome. I mean, a lot of fun. For the season that Georgia had— there wasn't really a lot of late-game heroics where you're sitting there on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, my God, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? I can't remember the last time Georgia had a kick that was win or lose at the end of the game. So hats off to Jack Podlesny. Hats off to the offense for getting in that situation. And I thought it was really cool to see the emotion of the team afterwards, the emotion of Kirby Smart afterwards. Aziz Ojolari ends with a strip sack safety to to – win 24 to 21 and Kirby's like look man we come to play like you saw the team want to be there you saw the team fight until there were zeros on the play clock and I think really you you just don't know yet those types of moments are amazing trampolines for momentum moving forward a lot of these guys are returning for 2021 it could be a pivotal win in Georgia's program I, I think it is, and and you know you want to talk about momentum heading into next season. You get a big win like that, you finish the season off strong. There's confidence at the quarterback position, and then you go and watch Clemson because that's going to be the big game to start the year up. Oh yeah, Clemson. Oh yeah, uh, and and you want as much momentum and excitement as you can heading into that game. And I think right now Clemson just got punched in the mouth. It's going to take them some time to to rebound from that. And Georgia just won a great game at the at the at the very end against a good team in Cincinnati. Yeah. So, I think you're looking at two teams that obviously want to start a hopefully normal 2021 on the right note. You know, this is this is a great opportunity for Georgia to springboard hopefully to a, a great offseason and get ready for that. Because right now you look at the rest of the East, it's going to be a down year for the East next year. It really is. I just don't see Florida being a dominant team next year. It's Georgia's taking. 
but you got to win the game versus Clemson um, and, and get that momentum going, win the East, and then have an opportunity to, if you do have a season where you're 11-1, 12-0, win or lose the SEC championship game, still have an opportunity to then still get into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up with the Georgia game and the Peach Bowl, but Cincinnati was a good football team. Number yeah, eight yeah. in the nation. They were undefeated, and there's always a ton of comparisons. Did, did, did they prove to you that they should have been given some more credit? Oh, in 100%. 100%, but so did Oklahoma, right? I mean, Oklahoma looked damn good at the end of the season, but, you know, I, I think in the end, this kind of proves, hey, you know, expansion might be on the way in the college football playoff. And for whatever reason, there's always comparisons about Kirby Smart and Mark Richt. And the one that jumps out to me the most is that that game, the Peach Bowl, was Kirby Smart's 10th victory over a top 10 team. And that's in his first five years. Coach Richt had 10 top 10 victories in 15 years at Georgia. So, you know, those big game moments, the ones that you need to win, that, that really tells you the depth that you have, the recruiting that you've done and the coaching. So huge win for Georgia. Great win. We'll see where they finish up in the final rankings that will come out after the national championship game. Let's talk about the Rose Bowl. Really not too much to dive into here. Alabama against Notre Dame. Um, And it wasn't close. I mean, Alabama's first three drives, it was a cakewalk. They were going right down the field. Najee Harris jumps over the guy, runs for another 40 yards. Devontae Smith, absolutely unstoppable. He will win the Heisman. He had seven catches for 130 yards and three touchdowns. Mac Jones, ho-hum, 25-30 for 297 yards and four touchdowns. Good for a 97 QBR rating. Aaron, these guys are unstoppable. And here's the thing. Okay, I said it last week. I said if there's any way Notre Dame covers, it's because Alabama takes their foot off the pedal, they get a late touchdown, and they cover. Of course, that's exactly what happened. But Notre Dame, in these moments, now they are 0-7 in BCS, New Year's Six, or college football playoff games. And Aaron, they've lost all seven of those games by two touchdowns or more. It's it's baffling to me. Um, You know, you, you can't blackball Notre Dame and just say they can't do it. But holy shit. I mean, it, it's it's really frustrating to watch it. It was not even a competitive football game. No, it, it looked like a varsity team versus a JV team. I mean, Alabama, I mean, if they wanted to, if we're serious here, if they wanted to, they could have scored 50, 60 points. I agree with that. I, mean, I feel like in the second half, they just said this game's over with. Look towards the national championship. Absolutely. And, and we're just going to start getting mentally ready for the national championship. I mean, Notre Dame had no chance uh, in that football game. And, and, I mean, there, there's maybe a handful of teams that could have made that a good game. I mean, I just think it, you know, I don't blame Notre Dame so much. And obviously their history doesn't help the situation at all. Like you said, 0-7, lost all those games by two touchdowns or more. Uh, Alabama's just that good. That, that's the issue. You know, Alabama is just on a different level than anyone else in the country. We'll see if Ohio State can make it a good game this 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 upcoming week, uh, this upcoming Monday in the national championship. I just think Alabama, if they wanted to, which they have done all season, can be anyone by two touchdowns or more. Yeah, This is a special team. This is one of the best, if not the best teams that Nick Saban has ever coached. This is the best team I've ever seen play, and that goes that's including last year's LSU team. As long as Alabama wins next weekend or next week first, first uh, Ohio State, this is the best team I've ever seen play by far. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. they can score at will, uh, and they can play defense. Yep. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, they've had a couple games they've struggled defensively. I understand that. But it's nowhere to near the extent that LSU struggled last year defensively pretty much the entire year. This is an elite team. Um, and like I said, I, I, you, 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 
you're frustrated with Notre Dame. I mean, eventually they have to show up in these type of games. They have to show up in, in the bowl games. They have to show up in, 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 in BCS games. They have to show up in playoff games. But uh, I do pity them a little bit because Alabama was just they're, – they're, they're a different beast. They really are different beasts, and they showed that. And again, I mean, this game was not competitive if you watched it. Alabama can do whatever they want at will. Uh, they shut down Ian Book. Um, you know, Notre Dame was moving the ball a little bit, but then around midfield, Alabama's defense would tighten up. That defense has gotten so much better throughout the season. And what's most amazing about this team that is an absolute wagon that I think is better than 2019 LSU that I think will beat Ohio State in the national championship game is they were only down at halftime in one game this year. And that was to the Stetson Benson led Stetson Bennett led Georgia Bulldogs, which is just unbelievable. I mean, it really is unbelievable. Earlier in the season, obviously a different season at that, but uh, really something to think about. And then, of course, they don't cover because Coach Saban got a personal foul late in the game, extended a Notre Dame drive. Notre Dame scores and covers. They were down thirty-one to seven. This game was not even close. Get this. I think this was at halftime. Notre Dame had played nine quarters. Uh, in the BCS title and playoff, right? So they played in the BCS title game in 2012 and the college football playoffs. This was their second appearance. Combined score, losing 86-17. to 17. Combined yardage being outgained by 610 yards. That's Ooh. a problem. And uh, Brian Kelly continues to have zero self-awareness about the entire situation, saying after the game, hey, we were in this game. Uh, no, you weren't. Yeah. And before the game, saying we have nothing to prove. Um, yes, you do. So Alabama continues its dominance. They will be playing in the national championship game, which a lot of people expected. Number one ranked Crimson Tide hoping for another national championship, and they will be facing the number three ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. This was an insane game, okay? I don't think anybody expected it to go this way. Ohio State beats Clemson 49-28. to all right, Trevor Lawrence, 33 of 48, 400 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Justin Effin Fields, 22 of 28, 385 yards, six touchdowns and one pick. QBR of 99. Trey Sermon, his running back, 31 carries, 193 yards and one touchdown. These dudes came out ready to rock and roll. They punched Clemson in the face continue to keep their pedal, uh, their foot on the pedal. And Aaron, I, I'm speechless. I was I was dead wrong about this game. Clearly, Ohio State was ready to play. They wanted revenge from the Fiesta Bowl a year ago. They took Dabo's comments personally. And I just didn't see the opportunity for them to do this against Clemson, especially with what we had seen throughout 2020. I think the biggest that it was fun watching the chess match between Brett Benables and, and Ryan Day. I For mean, sure. what, what Ohio State was able to do with tempo, mixing up tempo, um, not giving them great looks. Because I mean, it's true. Brett Venables tries to wait to the last second to get his call in, to get his defense to set because he wants to make the last decision. Of, All right, this is what you're going to do. Well, now we're going to adjust and make sure we can find a way to stop you. And then Ryan Day said, nah, not so fast. Yeah. Buddy. I'm going to have the last decision of the day. And, you saw it over and over again, Clemson trying to communicate, Clemson trying to get lined up, and then Ohio State took advantage of it. And then with big plays over and over again, and, you know, Justin Fields was phenomenal. Unbelievable. I mean, the throws he made were, were absolutely tremendous, super accurate uh, on all the throws, especially the deep throws. I mean, Trey Sermon's a beast. Unbelievable. I mean, this is, this, to me, this is what gives 
uh, Ohio State an opportunity versus Alabama. I don't think they're going to win. I also didn't think they were going to just destroy Clemson. Yeah. But the fact that they can be that balanced running the football, I mean, that's this is something they did not have to start the year. One of the issues I had with, with Ohio State was the fact that it was a Justin Fields show. Yeah. Justin Fields had to do everything. He had to throw the football, and if they won a running game, Justin had to go run and, and create that way as well. Now the fact that you have balance, you got a big back and Trey Sermon that can dominate a football game, that 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 forces defenses to have to, to worry about that part. And then you got dudes like Alava on the outside with Justin Fields playing at a high level. I mean, they could make it a game. They it's could. Pretty good. I mean, like I said, we didn't think they could they could make it a game versus Clemson. Yeah. They dominated Clemson. Oh, they I know. That. Yep. So uh, really good to see. Um, fun game to watch. I, I, shocking game to watch at the end of the day. I love all the comments afterwards. Like people are like, oh, uh, I think Danny Cannell said it. It seemed like Ohio State was just a little bit fresher. fresher. Yeah, I saw that. Too. I mean, you can look at it multiple ways. You yeah. can say, okay, they were fresher. You could also say that, hey, they haven't had the time to to work out all the kinks that Clemson's had and some of these other teams that, that have had more opportunities to play. So pluses and minuses to not playing as many games. Yes, they may have been a little bit more fresh, but they came out in there and whooped their butt. Uh, you know, they did a great job slowing down the run. ETN only had 32 yards rushing. Um, Trevor played fine. You know, obviously not as good as Justin did, but um, I, I'm more concerned kind of overall with the ACC. You know, oh, you and, oh I, and six. ACC all year. This is a good conference. I think a lot of people are like, oh, my God, they're so much better than they were last year. And they fucking put a goose egg up. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Smash. Miami lost. I mean, no, it doesn't help that Derek King got hurt. Uh, Wake Forest got smashed by Wisconsin. Notre Dame got smashed by Alabama. Clemson got smashed by Ohio State. Texas A&M smashed North Carolina. Kentucky beat NC State. I mean, holy smokes. These dudes are 0-6. And we were talking about this being maybe uh, midway through the season, the best conference in the country. I know. Uh, and then, look, I know bowl, con- you know, conference records in bowl season get inflated. They get brought up because there's nothing else to talk about, especially in this season where it's like, hey, are you even wanting to play in a bowl game? I get that. But you can't go 0 and 6. You cannot go 0 and 6. That matters. And the ACC putting up a goose egg, that is very bad for the conference as a whole in 2020, especially when you sent two teams to the college football playoff and they both got absolutely boat raced. Let's talk about the turning point in that Sugar Bowl. And then I think it was when uh, Skalski got ejected for the targeting hit, right? Justin Fields scrambles late first quarter, early second quarter, open field tackle. Skalski sitting there, um, Clemson's linebacker, who is the probably leader of the defense. He's sitting there ready to make an open field tackle. He gets into position, and Fields spins into him. I mean, spun into him. If you saw it and you watched it, right, Skalski's there getting ready to make a shoulder-first form tackle. Fields tries to evade, spins into the crown of Skalski's helmet, which goes directly into his rib cage. Fields is down, writhing in pain. Thought he's dead. I mean, I thought he cracked a rib that punctured his lung. I thought he was off the field not coming back, goes immediately into the tent, looks like he is in some serious pain. And then Skalski, of course, the flag is thrown. You think, okay, well, they're going to review it. They always review on an ejection. This targeting ejection rule needs nuance. Not the targeting rule, okay? Everybody can agree the targeting rule is fine. If you're going to throw a player out of a football game, there needs to be nuance. He did not leave his feet. 
It was not malicious. Did he strike the other player's helmet? No. It was a form tackle, okay? And I love how Skalski, after the game, went up to Justin Fields. Skalski tweeted and said, I need to be better. I understand the rule. I will be better in the future for my team. It's like, I get that, and I give him a ton of credit for that. There needs to be nuance because when you're going to throw the leader of a defense off the field in a semifinal game for a tackle that's made, you know, plenty of times throughout a football game, I just think that's a bit crazy. Let's go to Justin Fields. He goes to the tent. They're showing him on the sideline, trying to throw, can't even throw. I mean, grimacing, trying to get on the exercise bike, to get, can't even put his leg over. I'm sitting there going, this dude can't play. I mean, my wife and I are watching the game. I'm going, they're going to put him back in? He's going to get killed. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, you're a quarterback. You played on a torn ACL. I don't know. I tweeted this out, and I said, I'm just making an observation here. Just making an observation. A couple of drives, things weren't going so well with Justin Fields, and, man, he was hurting. Oh, man, he was hurting. Then they started moving the ball down the field. I didn't see anything. I mean, that throw that he made to the tight end was an absolute frozen rope. He wound up and dialed that thing in there, and you didn't even see him go to his rib cage. I'm sitting there going, Paul Pierce vibes a little bit. I mean, you can't knock the performance, but with the theatrics, let, let's, let's, take a, let's take a seat. Come on now. I don't know. Well, for, let's go back to the targeting. Yes, it was targeting, and he lowered the crown of his head. But I'm with you, man. We, we talked about this about middle of the season. Uh, I think Joel Clack kind of brought it up in one of his broadcasts is it, there needs to be a difference between malicious, leaving your feet, launching at another player's head of, okay, that, that, that took it across the line. I mean, you're trying to take that player's life. you got to get out of the game. Amen. To a play like that where it's so bang, bang, you know, plays happen, guys fall. It's just it, – it's, it's a fast game. I, I feel for defenders nowadays. I really do because the fact that you have to worry about, you know, where you're tackling a guy and then all of a sudden he drops down you hit him in the head. There needs to be a point where you can look at a replay and say, okay, it was targeting. It was a hit above the the, the, the shoulder pads to the helmet area or, you know, like there, the, the crown of the helmet did dip a little bit. But was it malicious? Was it an intent to hurt the player? No. We can see that. 15-yard penalty will do that. And, and, and do it like an unsportsmanlike conduct where if it happens twice, then, okay, you're, you're out. you gotta, you got to learn your lesson. you got to be better and, 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 and correct that for the next game. But you don't kick a player out for a tackle like I that. Agree. I, I do. I think there needs to be degrees of it at the end of the day. Yeah, and then, you know. And then Justin Fields. Stays in the game and chucking I, deep balls and running and scrambling. I mean, come hit, on, dude. He was not feeling good the next day, I guarantee. He woke up that next day like, woo. So is that Toradol? I mean, I've gotten a Toradol shot, and if it's, I mean, if it's bones, you know, it'll mask it a little bit. But I honestly thought he cracked a rib and possibly punctured his lung. I mean, I thought he was dying. On I the thought field. he cracked the rib, um, but obviously, I mean, once adrenaline's going too, that helps. And but he I'm was sure chucking he was gonna... the ball fifty yards down the field. Listen, adrenaline's a powerful thing, man. You're playing Clemson, chance to go to the national championship. Um, I guarantee, if I was in his position, I would have done everything I could. I don't know. If I would have, you know, held back the the pain as well as he did there in the third and fourth quarter, but I guarantee you that he that next morning he woke up in pain. That was a shot. Oh, I mean, he hit the living crap out of him. No, he did, dude. I was like, I thought he was out of the game. I mean, I really I, did. It was an unbelievable. I was thinking collision. in my head, and and you know, I, I don't know if I feel bad or not for thinking this, but I was like, damn, you know, for Clemson, if you lose your starting linebacker, that sucks. But if he at least took Fields out of the game. 
then I would take that trade. Uh, yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. That's 100%. like taking your pawn. Not, I wouldn't say pawn, but maybe like a bishop for a queen. There you go. You know, chess right there. There you go. Queen's gambit. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, the way he was delivering that deep ball too, letting Alave track it and get underneath it. I mean, those are almost nearly impossible to defend. I think Justin, Justin did have a chip heading into the game. No. Oh, no. There was no. a lot of talk about, obviously, I don't think Trevor Lawrence hurt his draft. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick in the draft. No question about it. Let's just get over that. But, you know, that, that the Zach Wilson kid from BYU started coming into the discussion. People yeah. putting out predictions of, hey, he's going to be the number two quarterback. Justin, based on the way he's played this year, is going to drop to number three. Um, I think Justin was pissed, man. He yeah. was. He's like, listen, I'm elite. Uh, I'm going to prove it. And, and, and I don't know if I'm going to do it enough to show that I should be drafted ahead of Trevor Lawrence. But I'm better than this damn kid from BYU. And I think... To me, the way he played, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence if I'm the Jets. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Justin Fields, that is. You think Trevor Lawrence oh, yeah. is going Trevor, to the Jags. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll end it with this. I mean, I, I really didn't know what to say. I, hand up. I was dead-ass wrong on the Sugar Bowl. And here it is in, in regards to Justin Fields, and I tweeted this out. I didn't expect that based off of his six games in 2020. I literally thought his rib cage got shattered in the first half, and I'm very glad it didn't, and I thought Clemson's defense would give him more trouble. You mentioned it when you opened it up. I mean, the the chess match with Ryan Day getting the plays in late. Um, you know, obviously there was talk about does Venables and do Clemson steal signals. They did a fantastic job. Justin Fields absolutely killed it. You know, Alabama's going to be ready. Um, but what a game! I mean, Clemson losing forty nine to twenty eight. So I'm sitting there watching the game, Aaron. You know, the funniest thing to me was one the score bug, the new ESPN score bug um, with the gold. Oh my Background god, I'm glad you tweeted on... that. It was every time I was like, is there no penalty? Is there no penalty? How does that pass Someone any sort of that. meeting by what like I think if one person watches football on TV and you saw they'd be like, dude, change the color. It looks like there's a flag on every play. That was ridiculous. I mean, that was that it started in the Bama game, obviously, because it was a college football playoff thing. But my God, change it immediately. That cannot happen in the national championship game. So I'm sitting there watching the game. I'm in a text thread with my brother-in-law and my cousin, and we had a little friendly wager, which I was wrong on because I was on Clemson. And I just kept looking at the score bug, and it just said, you know, Clemson, 11-1, and Ohio State, 6-0. and And I was like, I, I just can't believe a, six, a, a team that's played six games is about to go to the national championship. So I've had a couple glasses of wine. I get my phone out. I, I text my brother-in-law and my cousin, and I said, hey, I just thought of a tweet that should get some pretty good reaction. And they said, what is it? So I tweeted it out. Did you see what I tweeted out? Uh-uh, so I tweeted this out. And I said, <laughs> Clay Travis, Justin Fields, and President Donald Trump fought tooth and nail for the Big Ten to play football this season. <laughs> now Ohio State is going to the national championship. You can't forget where it all started. And I mean, it went off. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> it's like midnight. Jackie's asleep. I'm like, babe, this tweet has 2,000 likes in two minutes. I was like, do you think Trump's going to retweet it? Because you know he retweets anything. Oh, I yeah. tagged everybody in it. The replies that I was getting were out of this world. Oh, I, I mean, I dude, it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Clearly, clearly, I'm joking. I mean, obviously. <laughs> You know I don't talk politics on the podcast. You know I don't talk politics on my Twitter. I sandwich Justin Fields in between Clay Travis and Donald <laughs> Trump. And I was like, dude, I hope Trump is on his phone right now and he retweets this. It will go crazy. The tweet got 300,000 engagements. Um, oh, yeah, oh. I mean, it was 
It was phenomenal. It was exactly what I wanted to happen. I got to pull this up. But the people who got most upset, not really upset, but you know what's funny? So many Nebraska football fans were like, can't forget about Coach Frost. Nebraska saved Big Ten football. Then the people who hate Donald Trump were like, I can't believe you're such an idiot. You're such an idiot. (laughs) It's the funniest (laughs) thing. It was literally so funny so uh, drunken drunken nights with drew butler uh, i mean i was i mean i wasn't even drunk i just said this is going to get reaction and it surely did it was uh i let it's it's a it's a chefed up tweet that i thought was just it was perfect i mean it did exactly what i wanted it to do so those <laughs> the the replies people were like is this guy serious right now it's like people relax my goodness We're talking about college football here um too funny Wow. Oh, I love it. Good uh, for you. Yeah, good for me. How about Texas firing Tom Herman? Two weeks ago, they told us that they're going to keep Tom Herman after they went after Urban Meyer, it seems like. Boom, they fire him the morning of January 2nd, and Steve Sarkeesian is named the next head coach at Texas. I am really interested to see who Sarkeesian brings to Austin with him. But, man. I'm t- I, heard, I heard much chat, man. I, you know, CC and I talked about it last week. Yeah. If 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 they bring Mush up there as DC, you got a, a powerful offensive coordinator, offensive mind. You oh, got yeah. a great defensive guy. Uh, you're in the state of Texas. Uh, we'll see, man. I, listen, I, I was a big fan of Sarkeesian this year, and and you know, once again, I was up when CC and I were talking about last week about the, the discussion of him being the next head coach at Texas. I was like, I love it, man. What he was able to do this year and. You know, Childers was bitching the whole time. Like, no, listen, he's benefited because he has all these great players. I'm like, yes, it helps. Obviously, it helps that he's Devontae and Najee and Mac Jones. But you can't tell me when – that's also – I said this to him. It's 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 similar to saying Andy Reid's not a great offensive mind yeah. because he has Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and uh, Sammy Watkins and the little fast guy and all those great running backs. Like, kill, yeah. okay, Andy Reid's not a great play caller. He's just lucky because he has those. No, Andy Reid is one of the best player callers, if not the best player callers in the country. Yeah, I'm not saying Sark is on Andy Reid's level, but Sark's a damn good offensive mind. He's proven it to me, and, no and the way he schemed things up. So I think if he can get a great defensive guy to go along with him at, at Texas, um, I think he can do well. I and really you know, Muschamp's been there before. I know. Got familiarity with the program. Got familiarity with how things work in Austin and. Like you said, I mean, Sark, head coach at Washington, head coach at USC, was he successful Saban, Was successful you know. with the Atlanta Falcons. Now he's learned under Nick Saban, and obviously when you get under Lord Saban, your career trajectory is going to go straight up, and that's exactly what it did, so good for him. Um, it was reported also yesterday that Bill O'Brien was in Tuscaloosa. They weren't sure if it was in an official capacity, but, you know, look, if you're an offensive mind or a defensive mind, look for maybe Dan Quinn to visit Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban just wants to get his hands on anybody, so I will be interested to see, especially with Sark at Texas, how that works out in Austin. Um, other stuff, fun stuff. Jimbo Fisher outrunning the Gatorade bath at the end of the Orange hamstring. Bowl was awesome. Did he really hurt his hamstring? I, I saw something today where he said, yeah, I think I might have pulled my hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm watching the game, and it looked like a GA like took the Gatorade back. No, no, we're not going to do it. I was like, what? And like the players like listened to him. I go, good come on. Jim, I mean, good, good for a I mean, that was sweet. The season off this year, crappy game versus Vandy, you get blown out by by Alabama, uh, and then just going an absolute tear. And, and, and you know, I'm happy for Jim, but I'm really happy for Kellen Mond. I mean, you talk about a kid who has struggled in some big games during his career, 
who really stepped up this year. Great kid, great leader, uh, and is able to go out. I think tied um, Manziel with most yeah. touchdowns yep. in, in Texas A&M history. So that's pretty cool too to go out like that. He's a good kid, good quarterback. Um, this is a good North Carolina team. I know they're missing a bunch of guys on offense, but really impressed the way A&M played this whole season. Defensively, they're great. Uh, then offensively, they just got better and better and better throughout the season. So I think Jimbo's got a really good hold on this team going forward. No doubt. Um, you know, good win for the SEC as well. SEC um, had a good good year. They really good, did. Old Miss game was a good game. They looked good. Yep. Uh, Kentucky, that was impressive. That was I was a little surprised by that one. Um, obviously, Auburn looked like Auburn. Uh, but other than that, SEC rolled. I mean, Florida was disappointing, but you understand. I mean, they they – you know, to come to Dan's defense just a little bit, still don't, don't They had nobody. Don't don't like the quotes he had. He should have the said JV that, squad. but they really did not have anyone. I mean, they they were missing their entire offense. Um, Against an Oklahoma team who wanted to prove everything. The SEC flexed. It they really good. did. How about, okay, a uh, couple quick things. Mullen. First Tulsa. Yep. Um, Crazy-ass brawl. Oh, my God. Holy smokes. I text that to you immediately. I texted oh, to you immediately, and did you text me back? You said, "Was it worse than the Florida halftime?" And I said, yeah, "Oh I was, my god!" I was, yeah. on a, I was doing a Peloton workout when you texted me that, um, you know, and then I, I turned it on. I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> dude, that was you know what the best part about it." Did you see um, uh, the pirate, uh, the head coach? He was in the stands taking pictures with fans. He had no idea what was going on. Oh my. Did you did you see that? I did not see that. I, I missed so that. So he's literally in the stands, taking pictures with fans, having a good time while the and brawl is going down. While the brawl is going on, so the camera goes from him like oh having a good time, being his his merry Mike Leach self, and then it goes to the field and his entire team's in a brawl. Like dude had no idea what was going on. That was a brawl of all brawls. I mean, yeah. it made the 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 Mississippi State Florida was it wasn't that the team who that Mizzou Mizzou versus Mizzou, Florida Mizzou Florida. Um, skirmish at midfield looked like you know they were playing patty cakes out there. That was yeah. an unbelievable fight. Um, Dan Mullen reportedly telling NFL teams he has interest in the NFL. I don't know if I believe that. It's also yeah. being reported that Urban Meyer is probably going to be the Jags' next head coach, and Scott Pioli might be his general manager. So will they take Trevor Lawrence number one? I don't know, but it seems like he would also have his hands on football operations, Urban Meyer. So, look, a lot to talk about. Um, what a great happy new year. What a great weekend of football. We're going to be dialed in for the national championship. Number one, Alabama against number three, Ohio state. We'll be back later on this week for an awesome preview episode. Anything on the way out, my man? No, man. It's uh, it's exciting times. NFL's rolling. It was good to watch those games yesterday. Going to be a fun weekend of wild card games. And then, um, yeah, man, we'll, we'll break down obviously that Ohio state versus Alabama game later on the week, but if Ohio State can play the way they were versus Clemson, this could Watch be one a very high scoring game. Uh, what's the over under right now? Like seventy five somewhere around there. Um, it's it's kind of crazy to think that you're going to get a game that could be combined score in the eighties. But the way these two offenses can roll, uh, it, it could definitely definitely happen. Yeah, uh, it's going to be an awesome football game. So we will definitely make sure that our podcast later on this week is the best one out there to get you ready for the national championship. Be sure to follow us on social media at punt and pass at drew Butler at Aaron Murray 11, check out punt and We will talk to you later on this week. See you.